So once again, welcome to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Again, I'm your host, Alan. Uh, this time, instead of recording in the store, I'm actually recording in the comfort of my own home. Uh, what I thought would be fun to do, and, and this is going to be the start of a little series, just to you know, keep you guys entertained in between the previews recordings and creator profiles and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is do some commentary tracks for some of the most recent comic book movies. What inspired this was I do listen to a podcast quite a lot called Fat Man on Batman, which is done by Kevin Smith. And some of his Batman reviews have been superb. They've He's done commentary tracks along with a guy called Mark Bernardin. Uh, they've done commentary tracks for Batman 89. They've done Batman tracks for Batman Returns, Forever, Begins, all sorts. So I just thought this would be a, a fun thing to do, you know, and a way of you know, pointing out some of the references in some of the movies, pointing out what I liked about it, you know, so far we've had a few disagreements with what I've enjoyed compared to what certain customers have enjoyed, as everyone knows I am a pretty big DC fan, Uh, that's not to say that all the DC movies have been superb, I mean, in the last five years Suicide Squad was pretty awful, that'll be a fun commentary track to do, Uh, Wonder Woman was absolutely superb, uh, but the one that I thought needed a commentary track the most was Batman v Superman. Now the reason for this is because the Batman v Superman theatrical experience is one thing, but the Batman v Superman extended cut is quite another. The extended cut for me really should have been the movie that Warner Brothers released. Now, there are reasons for releasing the theatrical cut, which is a full 30 minutes shorter, is wanting to maximise revenue in the cinema, wanting to get as many showings in a day. I mean, if you have a two and a half hour movie, you can do, say, six showings a day. If it's a three hour movie, maybe you're only doing five showings a day. So that's revenue lost. But with Batman v Superman, what I always thought was that they lost a lot of goodwill by releasing the theatrical cut first because it's clearly such a choppy movie. There's, you know, motivations jump all over the place. Scenes jump all over the place. Scenes are clearly unfinished. And then you watch the extended edition and it all makes so much sense. I mean, there's so much uh, room for it to breathe. Uh, motivations are properly established. I mean, I will get to it obviously watching through this, but there's a scene in particular that it will always gall on me was never in the original movie and that is a scene after the Capitol building has explode, is exploded that uh, Superman is carrying survivors out from the wreckage. Whereas in the theatrical cut, he just flies away, which makes him look guilty and is probably the least Superman thing in the world. So we'll get to all that. I just wanted to give a little bit of an introduction as to why I wanted to do this commentary track. I, Batman v Superman, it's, it's an interesting case because Zack Snyder is still releasing stuff on his social media and still pointing out references in the movie. Now, I did read an article once that said this shows that this is not a good movie, the fact that he needs to explain it two years later. You know, any movie should pretty much explain itself and stand on its own two feet. But I don't agree with that viewpoint. I think a movie with depth and with textures is superb. I I love going back to a movie and noticing new things. One of my biggest examples for that is a movie called Inception by Christopher Nolan that every time I watch it, I see something new. So I like the idea of there being depths to a movie, of it rewarding repeat viewing. And that's something I think BBS Extended Edition certainly is very much worthy of. So, yeah, what I'm going to do is 
I'm going to have the movie on mute. I've watched it quite a few times, so I know it very well. I will have the subtitles up just to just to keep me going and maybe point out little lines of dialogue here and there. But if you guys want to sync it up with the movie, you know, that's up to you. You can obviously listen just to this commentary track on its own. I will describe a lot of the action on screen and anybody who's seen it will probably know the, the rough layout of the movie. What I will say, just as one final note, is if you did see BVS in the cinema and you didn't really like it, it can be hard to talk people into watching the extended edition. You know, it's it's a two and a half hour movie already, they didn't really enjoy it, and you're asking them to watch a three hour version of a movie they didn't enjoy. But I don't think I've ever watched an extended cut of any movie where it really has just fleshed out that world and, and totally transformed what type of movie it was. I mean... I really think if they had released this three-hour cut in the first place, BVS wouldn't be looked down upon as much as it is. I think the Warner Brothers in DC would have been in a stronger position to release a two-and-a-half-hour cut of Justice League. That's another podcast entirely. And I think that it would have been much better critically received. So, as I say, we'll, we'll go through it. There might be periods of silence here and there, but I'll do my best to keep the voice going as long as possible, pointing out bits and pieces from the comics, from the movies, set up all the rest. I've watched this movie a few times with Vicky, my other half, who also owns the store with me, and there's been times that I'll just talk through the whole movie, and I can almost see her eyes rolling a little bit when I do it, but it just a lot of it is out of frustration that, that this movie wasn't better received than it was. But anyway, enough gabbing, enough introduction, uh, what I will do is get the movie lined up, so if you are planning to watch the movie along with this commentary, uh, first of all, hope you enjoy it. Second of all, i am got the 4K Blu-ray loaded up. Uh, I can see three hours and two minutes on the counter, so this is going to be a bit of fun. Uh, and I'm pressing play now. So the movie is up and running. A couple of seconds in, starting with the logos. Bit of a computer-generated leaf there, going past the uh, Warner Brothers and then Rat Pack Entertainment logo. Not sure that was really needed. DC Comics logo. Always a good sign. And then thus begins a voiceover from Bruce Wayne, played in this, as you know, by Ben Affleck. Now, Zack Snyder's one of those guys, I think he's amazing at title sequences. I think the Watchmen title sequence is one of the single best things you will ever watch. It distills down so much of the graphic novel, distills down the alternate history timeline, and sets you up for the rest of the movie. Now, with Batman v Superman, I've just given this big introduction about how much I love this movie. I don't like the first couple of minutes. Uh, at this point, who doesn't know the origin of Bruce Wayne becoming Batman? Who doesn't know that his parents get killed? Who doesn't know that he survives? Who doesn't know that he does become Batman as a result of all this? So do you really need to see the origin again? I mean, I do like the Walking Dead reference of Negan walking down the street with Maggie. You know, especially considering Negan bashed uh, Glenn's brains in, in the show. So I kind of like the idea that they're married in this. And I do love the idea of a Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, flashpoint movie at some point where he's an older, grizzled Thomas Wayne as Batman on Earth too. But I digress slightly to this. I mean, I understand what Snyder's doing here. He wants to fill in the blanks. He wants to, you know, take a few frames out of Dark Knight Returns. I mean, there's one part coming up. We're not quite at it yet, but again, I know the movie so well. There's one little part coming up here where the gun catches on the pearls. And then the gun cocks back 
and shoots Martha Wayne. In Dark Knight Returns, that's an exact screen grab from the graphic novel. And as we saw with Watchmen, Schneider does have a great affectation for a great affection, sorry, for the the comics. I mean, Watchmen has just scene after scene, panel after panel out of. Uh, straight out of the book on the screen so I can understand why he's doing this to a degree but at the same time we've seen this over and over again we don't need to see it again uh, this is one point by the way that is in the extended edition not the normal one there's a point of view shot from Martha's point of view where she's looking at the gun and then the gun fires that was not in the theatrical edition they obviously thought that was overtly violent so I can understand that uh so down falls Martha, down falls Thomas, we have a Joe Chill who runs away, we have a Bruce Wayne uh, just about to, there we go, I mean pearls straight on the hand, down the drain, straight out of Dark Knight Returns. This screaming inaudibly, I hate this kid, uh, it just, unnecessary if you ask me. And it is amazing that I start this movie out with, <laughs> with negativity concerning how much I love it. Uh, we cut the Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Thomas and Martha's name. Obviously, it will become important later on in the movie, it being one of the last words Bruce heard his father saying. Uh, and then Bruce wakes up here in the back cave. There's also a little pearl by his hand there, a little bit of uh, foreshadowing that this is a dream sequence. And again, that's what I don't understand about this part. We, we saw the origin in Batman Begins where Bruce falls down the well, attacked by bats, bats frighten him, that kind of thing. Here they kind of show Bruce Wayne falling down the well and then all these bats down there and then they all attack him but then they raise him up towards the light. Again, I, I can understand what Snyder's trying to do here, being artistic, being something a little different but this whole sequence is not necessary. You know, if you've been alive in the last 30 years, whether it's through Batman 89, Batman Begins, the comics, Gotham, the Batman animated series... You know the origin of Bruce Wayne. This just looks silly to me. Uh, again, going back to the fact that I love this movie. This is the one sequence that for me it could have done without. There is a little nice sort of shot here as he's going up towards the light. It almost looks like a bat symbol when he has his arms out. It almost looks like uh, a little reference there to the bat signal. But even still, I just yeah, I don't like this part too much. Uh, but it does go from here into one of the absolute best sequences of the whole movie. I mean, you only realise this is a dream at this point where it says, in the dream they took me to the light. And then it flicks to Metropolis, Mankind is introduced to the Superman. Again, this is one of my absolute favourite parts of this movie. This is non-stop, relentless for 10 minutes. I like the end of Man of Steel. A lot of people have problems with Man of Steel and Superman destroying buildings and all the rest, but... Say what you want, at the end of Man of Steel, Superman saves the world. Yes, buildings in Metropolis get hit and they get destroyed and people say it's disaster porn, but for God's sake, it's he's saving the world. So a few buildings, a few sacrifices, that's fine. But I do love this idea of Bruce Wayne being in Metropolis this day and driving through the wreckage. I mean, as I say, this whole point is just relentless. Uh, Bruce now gets on the phone to... Uh, people in Wayne Tower just establishing that Wayne Enterprises has a uh, interest in Metropolis, has business there. It is a little strange that he has to tell these guys to get out. 
Uh, the boss wants us out of here. It's only when Bruce phones him to decide to move considering this healing invasion. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. And again, Bruce showing his driving skills here. Of course, he wishes he was in a Batmobile instead of a Jeep. But still showing his skills. Handbrake turns down the alleyways. Not using sat-nav. He knows his way through the city. He knows every corner, every little shortcut. Again, something, you know, Batman would very much know. Very determined, very single-minded. And the other thing I love about this that is shown even more when he gets out of the car is Bruce will run towards the danger. Bruce, Batman, same person. They don't run away from danger. All these cars are going in the other way. All these people are trying to get away from this madness. Bruce drives towards the madness. And I absolutely love that. Uh, you know, he is a little older. You can see the grey in the hair. Uh, so the car comes to a stop. And you're looking up at this alien ship. And again, Bruce doesn't understand this. In this DC universe in the movies, it's not like members of the Justice League have come before or anything like that. So Bruce is still trying to understand the uh, the gravity of this situation as it is. Now, another thing I will say, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos here that sync this timeline perfectly with Man of Steel. In terms of it taking 5 minutes, 2 minutes, 30 seconds between certain parts. This is Batman right here. He, um, If you look at the colour scheme for what Ben Affleck's wearing here as Bruce Wayne, it's very Neil Adams Batman, it's blues, it's navies, it's greys. It's very much like his Dark Knight Detective of the 70s, and I love that reference point. But again, Bruce is running towards the danger. He's still trying to get through to the guys in his office. Uh, again, you match this up, all these... Um, all these laser beams coming out of the uh, building, it all matches up perfectly with that sequence in Man of Steel where Zod is still getting used to his powers. And now the building collapses. So of course again, Bruce runs towards the danger, possibly my favourite shot of the whole movie. Everyone runs in the other direction. Bruce runs straight in the danger, absolutely. I can't say enough how much I love that. That right there is Batman, whether it's on the page, it's in the movie, it's in the TV shows. That is Batman. He runs towards danger. Uh, maybe a little throwaway reference here to The Dark Knight Returns. A horse going through the, going through the smoke. Uh, you think of some great scenes in The Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. Bruce riding a, uh, riding a horse through that. So again, he's going through the danger. He's you know, trying to help people. He's trying to say, like, do this. This is a little scene that got inserted into the extended cut. This school trip being out, everybody hold hands, move, this, that. Again, context. It's showing, you know, Bruce, of course, putting one back in line. It shows why this little girl is standing in the middle here. She's, she's lost. But in the original movie, it's just a random girl standing in the middle, so it's a bit silly. Uh, Bruce helping someone here again, showing his strength, lifting this beam off. Uh, this guy recognizes him. He's like, you're the boss man. You know, you're Bruce Wayne. But... Still loving the fact that Bruce Wayne will help him. Uh, so again, a very Bruce Wayne type thing to do. Guy's lost his legs. But again, this is where Bruce sees the little girl. Now in the theatrical cut, it just shows a random girl standing there. But again, we understand the context here because she's got separated from her school class. And again, Bruce saves her. A lot of people made jokes. This is him recruiting a Robin. You know, maybe a Carrie Kelly reference. Who knows? But... Uh, this is where Bruce is starting to see the gravity of the situation. Buildings have fallen. He's seeing the human collateral damage. This little girl said her mum's up there. She was obviously visiting with a school trip, visiting Wall Street or visiting their parents. And then, again, great bit of 
acting here by Affleck, just staring very intently at Superman and Zod, thinking these guys, these aliens who have invaded this world. He doesn't understand at this point who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, but he's seeing these beings destroying this world, taking this little girl's mother away. Uh, you see the broken wing financial sign sitting there. That's, uh, that's just a, a fantastic opening scene, I have to say. Uh, so now we go to <clears throat> a little bit of a, a little bit of an aquatic scene, shall we say? A lot of people wondered if this was going to be some sort of reference to Aquaman. Didn't turn out to be, but it says somewhere in the Indian Ocean. So this is where the other world machine was from Man of Steel. So some divers are going down. There's this alien technology just languishing in the sea. Why shouldn't they go down and, you know, see what treasures are there? This, of course, will all turn out to be, you know, part of Lex Luthor's plan. Whether these diggers are working for Lex, it's not really clear at this point. There is a point where, here we go, the guy on the beach uh, uses his hammer and uh, breaks into it. Sees the green growing crystals, sees the kryptonite. And obviously he's working for Lex, but these other guys are probably just explorers. Probably just uh, salvaging stuff. And you can see people in the background, they're trying to hand them stuff as if to say, buy this, buy this. This is for sale. This is from the, the Kryptonian ship. But he's only got eyes for this. And once he sees that green glowing um, substance, you can see straight away this is what he's interested in. So again, another little point here going into uh, stuff that's in the extended edition that is not in the uh, in the theatrical cut. We get a little bit more of Jimmy Olsen. Admittedly, this is a strange choice for him. I mean, Jimmy Olsen is an intrepid reporter in Metropolis. He's not an undercover CIA agent, but, you know, no problem with that. Reimagining stuff. It's just nice to see that line mislaying Jimmy Olsen. And he is covering as a photographer. So again, a little bit of an, a modern updating to that. And uh, as Lois is going to interview someone in the desert, going to uh, meet someone who's never been interviewed before. So again, showing the skills of Lois Lane as a reporter. This, this is something else they show in this movie more with the extended cut. It's not just more action. It's not just more Superman, more Batman. It's fleshing out of all the characters. It's Showing Lois Lane as a reporter at the absolute top of her game, Pulitzer Prize winning. She's being granted an interview with someone that's never been interviewed before. And she's also not afraid. You know, she's fearless. And at this point in the, the story, it's clear that she's with Clark. But she's not going to let being with Superman change her. She's still going to follow up leads, still try and do stories that affect the world. And that's what's great about it. I mean, she gets a bag thrown over her head, but, you know. She groans a little bit here and there, but she's still not afraid, you know. She's got a steely determination in her eyes. And now she's getting to interview the warlord that she wanted to. So, <clears throat> yeah, this sets up. I mean, she, she gets right to it. Her first question, are you a terrorist? You know, again, showing Lois's fearless side. And this guy's trying to patronize her, say like, oh, I didn't know it was the lady. She says, look, I'm a journalist, dick. Uh, you know, once again showing her fearless side. I mean, this is probably a part of the world where women are maybe, you know, looked down upon or they're not looked at as strong as men. So that's why they're slightly confused here. So now we see Jimmy Olsen, slight suspicion. Guys are looking at his camera. Uh, all this security's thinking, yeah, there's there's more to this than just being a camera. 
They start pulling it apart. He tries his best to small talk them, saying like, you're exposing this, you're exposing that. But what they actually find here is a little transmitter. Uh, admittedly, this does have one of my bugbears of movies. When he holds the transmitter up, it's beeping like a doop, doop, doop sort of sound. Now, why was that sound not transmitting through the camera itself? That's not just something that's just in this movie, but it's just something that bugs me a little bit. I have to say, you know, this beeping sound comes up. Where was that when he's holding the camera up? Is it only when it's exposed and there's no surroundings? Bit strange. But anyway, uh, they figure out very quickly that Jimmy Olsen is CIA, that, you know, he's there to try and gather intel. Lois is protected by him. He says, look, nothing to do with me. Uh, Lois tries to say he's just a photographer. Maybe his, his equipment was uh, bugged, whatever. But again, <clears throat> this is stuff that becomes clear that this is in the extended edition, not in the uh, in the theatrical cut. So Jimmy Olsen's trying to broker a deal. It cuts to a little drone uh, here. I really do know this movie well. Body falls. Uh, as it's clear they're being watched and that there's a team on the outskirts. I like the idea even that he's being called Talon. Talon's down. That might be a little reference to New 52. Again, showing, you know, reverence for the comics and uh, not just taking it as a fact that this is its own universe. It's, it's showing respect for the comics and I like that. Um, so now there's a uh, team going in to try and save people. They're obviously wary that their asset is down. Jimmy Olsen's been shot. They're worried about Lois. Obviously, this guy's a warlord as well. So these guys come in on uh, horses. But now the warlord's intimidating Lois, saying, you know, ignorance is not the same as innocence. Great line, that, by the way. And Lois does have a little bit of fear in her eyes, but you have to think, Lois knows that Clark's never going to let anything happen to her. It's, it's proven a couple of times in this movie. But now we start to see different motivations as well. So this, uh, this black ops team just starts killing people. And again, they do this very quickly in the theatrical cut, whereas here they actually spend a bit of time showing the brutality of it. Showing that these guys clearly had a plan. Showing that they're happy to kill, slaughter 15, 20 people. Uh, we see there just Lois's uh, book getting the bullet put into it. Look, again there, you know, just showing people, uh, shooting them in the back. Blowing up of a tank, blowing up of their assets. You can see them setting up Superman more here. You know, they're, they're, they even say quickly he's coming. This is not in the theatrical cut, which again means this scene has no context. But they show here them lighting the bodies on fire. Quickly, he's coming. They expect Superman to come and save Lois. Which again gives it another dimension. Uh, that maybe you don't get from the theatrical cut. So, there's this drone going in towards uh, going in towards the compound as these guys are escaping. And this leads to another little scene. Not in the theatrical cut, but which is pretty badass. Which is Superman flying straight towards the drone. Because in his mind, he's saving innocent people. He doesn't know that there's people dead in this compound, in this village. So he flies towards the drone simply because he wants to stop. And going towards, going towards, two, one. I don't think so, son. Superman. Brilliant. Because in his mind, he's saving people. That's why he does this. Again, giving context to this whole scene. You know, and people are like, by what? What do you think, by what? So Superman arrives, great superhero entrance, lands perfectly. Take one step, you'll see the inside of her head. But 
Clark's confident at this point. He's got a handle on his abilities, Lois smiles. She knows she's safe now. Even with a gun at her head, she knows she's safe. That's the trust she has for Clark. And <laughs> through the wall. No problem at all. Easy peasy. Uh, doesn't necessarily kill that guy. Does put him through a wall. So possibly the guy is not in the best of health. I do think they could have maybe shown the guy being like thrown to the ground or something or arrested. That would have been slightly nicer there rather than assuming Superman might have killed. You know, Man of Steel had its uh, detractors just for that. But you can see here there are survivors. I mean, this again shows Superman saved people. People keep bitching, especially the whole way through Man of Steel, about how Superman doesn't save anyone. That's a commentary for another time. But you can see here, yes, these people are sad. Yes, they're upset. Yes, they see these bodies burned. And they were maybe hiding during all of this. So they assume Superman did it. Or maybe they're just being bribed by Lex Luthor. But again, you see survivors. You see Superman save people by blowing that missile up. And again, that's not something that is uh, shown enough of. Lois picking up her book there. Obviously, the bullet is through that. That leads to a really good lead later on in the movie. Uh, and now we cut to a woman who was from the village talking in front of Congress. We see Lex Luthor's you know, right-hand woman in the background there. She's not been properly introduced yet. But at this point, you're not sure whether these women are lying, whether it's a case of maybe they were hiding and they didn't know Superman came after the gunshots and the um and all the bodies being on fire but again this is all to do with context you see this later on in the extended cut where this woman has been bribed by lex but i do like this uh, philosophical question that comes up as well you know we've been so busy looking at what superman can do we don't look at what he should do you know in this modern world superman's motives have to be questioned you, you can't just guess that he is pro-america this isn't the 40s and 50s where you know you just assume that he's on the side of the good guys you know in this world you don't know his motivations he's come down he says he's from kansas at the end of uh man of steel but at the same time was that a little nixon reference there with a sign being held up it's about random uh never noticed that before as metropolis or trouncing gotham in uh american football game I wonder if uh, American football game is a little reference to uh, Dark Knight Rises, where obviously the football game is where Bane makes his attack. I'm not sure. Uh, so now we're in Gotham City. Now, one of the things they did with this movie that I've never seen before uh, in the comics or in any sort of continuity is Gotham and Metropolis are just across from each other. So we come to Gotham, the end is now. They're obviously again showing that Gotham's a bit of a cesspit. You do wonder how much good Batman's been doing for this 20 years, you know. He even says the line later, 20 years in Gotham, how many good guys are left. It's why Bruce is so disillusioned in this, because even though he's been rounding people up for 20 years, how much good has he actually done, you know, without his methods getting extreme? And that's why in this movie, his methods are extreme. You know, people question, why is Batman so violent? Why will he kill people? Why will he do this? It's a Batman who's been doing it for 25 years. He's clearly lost a Robin along the way. He's lost a bit of guidance, lost a bit of hope, but he's Batman because he doesn't know what else to be. But this is a great wee scene here, actually. You know, the police go down, there's these women, they think they're going to open it up and save them. But even they have the fear of Batman. You know, they go, the police go to open the gate, 
thinking they're doing the right thing and the women close it they're just like look he's still here I, we, we don't want out of here we, we might actually be safe in here um, you know they even point up I love that Batman still elicits that fear in people because that's what he should do he should be a creature of the night uh, he shouldn't be this cuddly you know Batman 66 commissioner calls him in the city hall everyone loves him he should be an outlaw he should be a vigilante He's doing what he thinks is right, but at the same time, it's not legal. You know, certain people do trust him, but not an awful lot beyond that. So, we see here the police going up the stairs. This is all very moodily lit. This is something that Schneider specialises in. His movies, whether you like the contact, the, the content, I should say, of Schneider movies or not, you can't escape the fact that they're beautiful to look at. You know, they're atmospheric. There's great richness in the detail, great richness in the shot setup. I mean, even here you can see the police come in. There's a guy um, handcuffed to the wall. He's been branded with a bat symbol. But even here, you don't see Batman anywhere. And that, that also I absolutely love. Batman can almost be invisible in a room. Uh, because you see here the guy, uh, the policeman's approaching uh, the villain. And then he, Bat, uh, the camera pans around to show Batman in the corner and there but this cop didn't even notice that he notices it now but you, you see the fear in his eyes like holy shit who the hell is this guy and then batman moves with the speed and agility of a ninja which again is what you would expect gets out of there the green cop is so um he's so rattled that he nearly shoots his partner his partner seems a little bit more seasoned you know how about he's a bit calmer about it. it's not like oh you've seen batman you saw this guy he's clearly a little bit more seasoned but he does recognize the whole he branded him thing uh which again got a lot of flack in the movie i don't mind that i don't mind that this batman's so disillusioned with the justice system that i mean batman's ultimately someone who took the law into his own hands so when he brands criminals he's he's almost given permission to criminals to take the law into their own hands, you know, let them eat each other almost, uh, which I don't mind in this movie, because again, we've established this is a disillusioned Batman, 18 months ago, he saw death, destruction, aliens from another world, doesn't understand what's going on, uh, so why not, you know, anyway, we cut the Lois here again, this is a slightly longer scene than the extent, uh, than the theatrical cut, Lois is slightly rattled from all that, she's having a glass of wine, she sees the blood on her shirt, but then, of course, the reporter's instinct takes over and she sees that bullet lodged in her diary. So, you know, you can, you can see the cogs turning in her head. She's thinking, uh, I've got a lead here. I'll look into this a bit more. So she removes the bullet, holds that up. But at the same time, she's still rattled. It's not like she runs straight out to get uh, context on that. She gets a bath. She's curled up. She's looking at it. But at the same time, she's still trying to recover from what she saw at death and destruction here we see Clark coming home obviously at this point it's established Clark and Lois are together don't know why Lois puts the bullet in there because Clark has x-ray vision he could see it if he wanted to but I suppose he's too busy being in a smallville mode here where he's like I'll cook dinner I hope you're okay and he's like I don't care if they hold hearings I just wanted to make sure that you're alive that you're safe and again that's the most Clark thing in the world you know, he just wants to make sure Lois is alive. In a sense, he's still a little bit of a green Superman in that he still is uh, 
still very narrow. He has a bit of a narrow viewpoint. You know, he wants to save Lois, but he doesn't think about the bigger picture. That's why she's saying, I'm saying there's a cost to saving me. But at the same time, you can see he sets the flowers down, makes her feel better, pulls a flower out. To a degree, he does understand the cost, but he'll still do anything to save her because he's clearly in love with her. Um, and I like the rela- I like that there's no tiptoeing around the relationship in this. In the comics, for a long time, Lois didn't know Clark was Superman, and people have always said, "Oh, he wears a pair of glasses," and suddenly you don't know who he is. Really, they solved that problem very quickly in this movie universe by having Lois discover who he was very quickly. But she can be trusted to keep that secret. And that's something that I love as well. So, And even this, this just has a lot of charm to it. Clark just jumps in the bath with her. This is a little bit more extended, something for the ladies. Clark pulls his top off, which I suppose is only fair given that we've had a half-naked Lois there for about a minute and a half. Uh... But I like this. This is a nice tender scene. It shows what they're all about. It shows that they're very much together. And again, Clark will do anything to, to save her. Um, Clark has love in his life. And that's something that's juxtaposed really well with cutting straight to Bruce. Coming down into the back cave on his own. You know, the only person he's got in his life is Alfred. Uh, I love this back cave as well. It's very technologically advanced. It's very spacious. Uh, he's got Alfred working on things. It's not just like Alfred is his butler. Alfred is clearly very uh, skilled. That's a great line as well. Even you've gotten too old to die young, but not for lack of trying. But, uh, <clears throat> so, again, as I say, just going back to it, I love that Alfred is a technical whiz in this. I love that Bruce relies on him. He's clearly building the suit here that is going to uh, help him in his fight against Superman. And that's the one good thing about the whole 18 months later. It shows that Bruce has been preparing for this for a year and a half. Uh, he's got other things on his mind. He's trying to find out who you know, the White Russian is. Uh, and he's following up leads here and there. And I like how this establishes this guy who was also in the compound there. That Batman and Superman, in a way, they're attacking the same, attacking the same case from different sides. And again, that shows that they both have the same moral compass. Uh, they obviously don't know each other at this point, they don't want to help each other, but they're attacking from the same side. Uh, yeah, so, as I say, Bruce sitting here in the back cave. I love the look of Affleck as this, and I love this line right here. This is straight out of Dark Knight Returns. We're criminals, Alfred. We've always been criminals. I love the respect for that source material. Uh, you know, Alfred's even more older and weathered and beaten than Bruce is, but he still will go along with his master's uh, his master's plans. I love that Bruce has all this uh, stuff on Superman. He's researching him. He's showing how he wants to be prepared for it. He's watching his fighting techniques there against Zod, which is nice so that when it comes to him fighting him, he can maybe read his moves, that kind of thing. Alfred talking about how good men turn cruel. Uh... But yeah, I, I love Affleck in this role. He he is Bruce Wayne. He's practically straight out of the uh, the animated series. So now we come to LexCorp. And uh, we have Jesse Eisenberg popping up as Lex Luthor. Now, at this point, it's still never been properly established. He says here, you know, Lex was his father's name. Was his dad supposed to be the proper Lex Luthor and he's just his son? 
or is this Lex Luthor? Uh, now, I'm in the minority here. I like um, Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. He basically is playing a Mark Zuckerberg type role as Lex Luthor, but that's what it would be in the modern world. He's a little bit uh, kooky. He's a little bit uh, unique, to say the least, but he's incredibly smart, incredibly motivated. He knows everything about his company. He's got many fingers and many pies, and then he's got people looking all over the world for deterrence. And again, this all comes back to this is something that was established brilliantly in Infinity War, where you can understand Thanos' motivations in terms of not wanting there to be poverty, not wanting there to be starvation in the world. You can understand Lex to a degree here. He's saying, like, you know, I want to deterrent against Superman. Yes, some people think he's good, some people think he's saving the world, but Lex at his very core, in the comics as well, has always been suspicious of Superman. He's always wanted to use his intellect to protect Earth. And that's what he sees here with this kryptonite. He sees um, an attempt to be able to combat Superman. Because why wouldn't you? You know, it's okay from us as comic readers' point of view going, Superman's the good guy. But if if this was in the real world and you saw an alien arrive who could fly, could do things that other humans can't do, would you not want someone in the world to be able to protect us from it? Of course you would, and someone with invaluable resources like Lex, someone with the uh, finances of Lex and, the, and you know, the far reach around the world that he has, why wouldn't you want someone out there maybe trying to protect us? You know, in a sense, at the start here, Bruce and Lex have the same goal. They want to be able to defeat Superman and make sure that, to ensure mankind's survival. They approach it in different ways, but, yeah, I, I like Eisenberg as Lex. A lot of people don't. And it's a personal thing, I suppose. But uh, I like that he's prepared to do these dealings under the table and he's prepared to go to whatever whatever measures possible. Admittedly, this whole cherry thing and, you know, eat this is a bit weird, I have to say. But I do like that it intercuts with, you know, the Kryptonian ship in the middle of Metropolis, you know. That is exactly what people in the world would do. They would study this. They, the government would put sort of fencing around it and say, look, we're going to um, we're going to investigate this and only top-level people can actually get into it. But I like that Lex is able to bribe his way in here and uh, go in because he wants to uh, investigate the Kryptonian ship. Because going back to what I said, you know, Lex is one of the most influential, resourceful people in the world. You know, he, he routinely calls himself in the comics the smartest man in the world. So, of course, he'd figure out a way to get access to this where he wouldn't have to break in or anything like that. Uh, so Lex comes, he sees the crash Kryptonian ship in Metropolis. Uh, we cut back here again. He's got his wish list of wanting to uh, have a look at Zod's body, have a look at everything inside the Kryptonian ship. It is a bit weird that the senator has this much power that he's able to do all this, I would say. But but even this, I love this. This is pure villainy. This is pure over-the-top, like, oh, come to me, come to me, oh, stop. But then you see his excitement. I mean, he's, he's genuinely excited to start dissecting this body, try and learn these secrets. I mean, curiosity is, is so clear here. It's not just a case of, oh, I'm powerful, I'll make this happen. Lex wants to better himself. Lex wants to find a deterrent to Superman but yeah this whole cherry thing it's still a bit weird I have to say
I mean, I suppose it's a subtle, well, non too subtle way of saying you're in bed with the enemy now. Oh, how good do those fried eggs look? Uh, so Clark watching a bit of TV. Again, this is something that I like in this movie. You know, is Clark a hero? Is he not? Some people are still suspicious. Some people love him. Again, this is something this woman shows up in the news again. Not in the theatrical cut, but again, calling out Superman. And you, at this point, you still think she's wholesome. But as throughout, the, as throughout this extended edition, you'll see... It's a case of uh, she's been bought by Lex. Uh, so now we move on to the disgruntled Wayne employee uh, who hates Superman. You see all these uh, news reports all over his wallet. They're like that big one saying Bruce Wayne pulls employee from the wreckage. Uh, you know, looking at his family. His, fam- his family obviously died in the, uh, in the event, shall we say. So he's now at the Superman monument. And all these uh, large gravestones are there for all the people that died. Again, they acknowledge all these deaths. I like this. They acknowledge all these deaths that were in Man of Steel. There's construction going on in the background. It's not like they just think, oh, people died. That's it. They acknowledge all this stuff. And I like that. Um, I do love that big statue. The detail there is great. Um, but you can understand this kind of reaction. There's some people where, you know they don't agree with Superman's presence on Earth. And that's fine. Not everybody thinks he's the good guy. So he jumps up. Admittedly, the police are a bit useless here. I said, get down. That's it. And what's funny here is he's going to need backup. Come on, there's two of them there. One grabs him. The other one catches him. Easy peasy. Should he really have got the spray paint all of that on in that time? I'm not sure. But anyway, so we're back to the Daily Planet now. Lois is following up on her lead for the bullet. Uh, Perry's giving Clark a bit of grief, saying, like, I want you to go and report on uh, Gotham football. Watch yourself in Gotham. Don't let them take your lunch money. They're still taking the mick out of Clark a little bit as being from Smallville. We see the news report in the background. We see what he's put up. Um... I work for Bruce Wayne. What does that matter? What? So Bruce Wayne should come down and save you because you vandalized the monument? Weirdo. Anyway, false god. Again, going back to the whole mentality of this, Superman is not from Earth. Superman essentially is a god. If he wanted to burn the whole place down, as Bruce says later on, he could do it. So, you have people saying here that, I mean, these guys clearly believe in Superman. They're a little bit... Hesitant, whereas Perry's like, we need to sell newspapers, especially given that newspapers are dying in the uh, in the modern world. So we see Clark here jumping on the ferry, going across to Gotham. Again, playing in this whole idea that Gotham and Metropolis are just separated by a bay. Sort of like New York, Staten Island, that sort of thing. But even Clark looking at Gotham there, you can see pollution in the air. He arrives in Gotham, you know, we've got run down buildings um metropolis looked sort of although it was rebuilding it still looked very new and shiny clark's trying to follow up on this whole news report at this point you have to wonder is he following up on this news report as clark or as superman i do like the idea that he's doing this for himself which given that perry sent him over to uh pardon me, to investigate uh, the football team. He's clearly doing it for himself. 
But even these people are talking about this myth of Batman and <clears throat> all the rest. And this guy doing a little bat symbol saying how he's got a new kind of angry and a new kind of uh, violence and mean streak in him. Okay, so now we go to this underground fighting thing. This was a little subtle thing where Bruce whispers something into the ear of this guy who's clearly losing the fight. And some people didn't pick up on that. I've chatted to a few people about that, which is a bit strange. But I love the idea that Bruce Wayne is so uh, well-versed in all fighting techniques that he can literally tell you what to do, even if you weren't sure how to do it in the first place, and win the fight 10 seconds later. And he gives him a little nod, and Bruce, again, oh, that's so Bruce Wayne right there, just that little eyebrow raise. So uh, we cut to the bar, Bruce is caught up, caught up with the Russian. You see him set down the two phones. I have to admit, the first time I saw this, that this was a uh, going to be that old blatant movie trope of, I'm going to swap the phones, and no one's going to notice. I'm so glad it wasn't that. And it's actually Bruce just cloning it, because... Uh, Oh, talking about like a bullshit ballerina, you know, talking about sleep with her and all the rest. Again, so Bruce Wayne. Because the public perception of him is he's a playboy. But I love that he just clones the uh, the mobile. Again, showing access to great technology. Again, showing access to uh, just using his smarts rather than I'll switch my phone and he won't notice. Great line by Perry. Crime wave in Gotham. Other breaking news. Water. Wet. Do love that line. So again, Perry telling uh, Clark why, look, just drop this, where's my, uh, where's my sports reports? Because people will buy a newspaper to read the sports reports, which is a bit strange. But they won't, read the, they won't buy it to read actual news. Uh, and poor Clark here, you almost feel like he's being slightly usurped by Lewis and that he's trying to say, look, follow the story, follow the story, follow the story. And Perry says, no chance. Lewis walks in, shows a bullet, chats to him for 15 seconds. She's got a helicopter and she's out of there. Sorry, an airplane and she's out of there to investigate further. There's almost a slight hint of envy on Clark's face there. I mean, obviously he's proud of his you know, other half and he's proud of the fact that she's such a good reporter. But you can almost see a hint of envy and you don't see that from Superman or Clark Kent very often. So uh, I like that again, just a nice little touch. Something I'd never actually noticed before watching it this time. Uh... Now Clark feeling slightly betrayed. Why didn't you tell me? Um, concerned for Lois's safety. But at the same time, he has to know who Lois Lane is at this point. He can't just think, like, why are you running into the face of danger? Because Lois has always run into the face of danger. So, uh, yeah, she's away. And then Perry gives uh, Clark an invite to some old lady requesting his presence to cover this charity dinner. So now we move on to uh, a little bit of hamming it up for Lex as he reaches, as he chats to one of the senators, played by Holly Hunter. Uh, she's like, I can't stay. He's trying to bribe her. And in fairness, because of my whiskey knowledge, I appreciate the fact he has a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, 20-year-old there. That is an expensive whiskey, guys, I can tell you. There was actually a fire, at, um, sorry, not a fire, a robbery at the Pappy Van Winkle distillery a couple of years ago. And they made off with something like 90% of their yield for the year, which means it's hella expensive now. If any of you guys are enjoying this and want to, you know, pick me up a bottle as a little reward, I can get on board with that. But again, it shows Lex has expensive tastes. It's, it's attention to detail like that that, that I enjoy.
So we're starting to see a little bit clearer here, Lex's motivations. He wants, you know, an import license to bring in more kryptonite. Um, you know, he, he's going back to uh, wanting to protect the world from Superman. And he hates the fact that he's being uh, bogged down and like you and your hearings, you know, you and your red tape, you and your paperwork. Why can we not just sort this out? Do you not understand the world is at stake? But at the same time, you can look at Lex here as a little bit of a spoiled brat. Like he's disgusted that uh, his money and his power can't buy him a senator. You know, she throws up her bucket of piss, Granny's peach tea thing, which comes back to bite her in the ass a little bit later. later. Um, but she's not having any of it. She, Her motivations are never entirely clear through this movie, I will say. One minute she's following certain people who tell her one thing and the next minute she's blocking import licenses and the next minute she's attacking Superman. You can tell she's a career gal in this. You know, you can, especially later on when there's this, the hearing with Superman and she's like, this is what we call democracy. You can tell she's doing that for the cameras. Uh, love this little reference here. Devils don't come from hell beneath us. They come from the sky. Uh, I love that at the very, very end of the movie, uh, that painting's upside down. <laughs> Uh, initially when I saw this scene in the movie theatre, which is from the original cut, Bruce going to mourn his parents, I was sort of like, come on, do we need to see this again? We know he's a mama's boy. We know he misses his parents. So when this scene first came up, I sort of thought, do we really need to see this? Admittedly, I do like the religious iconography there of someone in a red cape. Uh, we learned Martha was 35. Um... And I like that he, I do like that this is all establishment for stuff later because Bruce isn't looking at his dad's gravestone. He's looking at his mum's. He's looking at Martha. Then it starts to bleed. So this is where we start to get a little bit of a hint that something's afoot here, shall we say. Uh, which makes the scene worthwhile. Blood dripping. He goes to touch it. And then something bursts out of the, uh, the gravestone. Looks an awful lot like man bat, I have to say. Uh, but again, that's what makes this scene worthwhile. I mean, that made me jump about 10 feet in the air in the cinema. And then Bruce wakes up. It's all a dream. He's got a gorgeous woman in his bed beside him. You know, again, subtle hints that Bruce is the international playboy, that this is what he does. He has wine beside his bed. He has painkillers beside his bed. You know, this is not a Batman in good shape. 1945, Margot there. Jesus, that must be about 20 grand a bottle. And he uses it in the morning to watch down uh, painkillers. Again, showcasing Bruce Wayne's wealth. But also showcasing that he's not a 25-year-old man who just is driven for justice. He's, he's weathered, he's old, he needs painkillers. Um, I do like this little bit as well. Alfred comes down talking about how there's not going to be a wine cellar, no next generation. But look, this must be a first right here. We cut to... Bruce hands Alfred a coffee. Bruce is serving Alfred. Love that. Little detail. Thought it was great. But again, even though Bruce is a little hungover and taking painkillers and all the rest, he's straight to business. Uh, he's been trying to get data off the Russian's phone. He finds out about Lex Luthor's involvement somehow. Uh, Alfred thinking, um, right, what are you going to do? Break into Lex Luthor's house? And he's like, I'm going to need the suit. And... 
again, this brings back the whole idea. Sometimes people say, why is Bruce Batman his... It goes back to The Dark Knight Rises where Ralford says, people don't need Batman, they need Bruce Wayne, they need your resources, your knowledge. And in this, they say, Batman and Terry had six guys got nothing, Bruce Wayne did this, and he's now doing this. And he's invited to this charity dinner, which we've already established Clark's going to. Oh my God, how awesome does that bat suit look just there? And again, I love the com- the conflict in Affleck's eyes there. He's just like, should I go in the suit or should I go as me? Because his natural instinct is to be Batman. That is who he is. But he steps away from it. He looks at, oh, oh, we need to know more information about this. Is this Jason Todd? Setting up for a future movie with Red Hood. Again, this is what I love about what Schneider's doing here. And what was bastardized in Justice League. He's trying to set up future movies. Extended scene. Do really need to see Affleck's ass. Totally different, uh, totally different scenario there. Oh my god, how beautiful is that car? But I do like that he... It's almost like the Shah is saying... He's cleansing himself and saying... This is the right move. Clear head. I'll go to uh, Lex Luthor's uh, charity gala as Bruce Wayne. Historic moments coming up. Uh, Bruce steps out. You know, that big smile. Straight out of the animated series. Again, amazing Bruce Wayne. That's why I love Affleck in this role. I would actually argue that he's a better Bruce Wayne than Christian Bale. That's a big statement. Fair enough. I do think Christian Bale had the better movies. And the Dark Knight trilogy is my holy grail. But I love Affleck as Batman. I didn't expect to say that when he was cast. So anyway, we get a little bit of Lex here. Trying to speak in a public forum. Oh, first shot of Gal Gadot. Wonder Woman right there. Bruce staring at her. Bit of eye contact. Is that just he thinks she's a good looking woman or does he sense something more? Uh, but I love that Lex is awkward in public because a lot of geniuses are a little bit strange, you know. They are a little bit, uh, they have strange personality defects. So I love here Alfred is feeding information to Bruce. Clark hears it. He's not quite sure who it is, but he does see someone walking away. He suspects it's Bruce. As Bruce is obviously trying to find out more information while Lex is uh, slightly busy. I love Gal- I love Wonder Woman's rolling of the eyes about Zeus and Thunderbolts as if like, you haven't a clue, mate. I was there. We'll find out more stuff to do with that in Wonder Woman. So again, Bruce is stepping off while everybody is busy. Again, showing his detective skills here again. This is why I like this, uh, this interpretation of Bruce Wayne. Using his resources, using his understanding of technology to get to, um, to sneak in to where he needs information from. And this leads to one of my favourite lines of the movie as Bruce Wayne. I know it so, so well. That last martini was too, too many. Love that. Like, he, he just snaps in the mode. And people don't doubt him. They don't, um... They don't think, like, what's he up to? This is suspicious. He's got that charm. He's got that playboy nature. I like those shoes. You know, just little things where they're like, this guy's not a danger. And straight away he snaps back into, I can't stay down here, Alfred. Such a great interpretation, I have to say. Um, Alfred, once again, doubts Bruce will ever find love. In your dreams, Alfred. So now, like, starts stuttering, starts tripping over himself a little bit. Again, he's a little bit strange, but most geniuses are. There's uh, his henchman in the background. 
But also what I like here is Lex almost realises I need to step away. He's losing the crowd. He doesn't continue to sit around. He just goes, thank you for coming. And that's clever because he, he doesn't want to make more of a big scene of it than it is. And here we go. Oh my God, historic scene. Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent. Oh my God, amazing. And again, this is another great interpretation of Bruce Wayne where he's like, oh, the Daily Plant. Do, do, do I own this one? Again, this is why. And he's too busy staring at Wonder Woman. Love that. Uh, but yeah, this is this is brilliant. This is pure, like, you would never expect this guy to be Batman. You know, do, do I own this one or is that the other guy? But at the same time, Clark touches a nerve here. You know, oh, look at that look. That's amazing. Don't believe everything you hear, son. Just wants to punch him in the face. Love it. Thinks he's above the law. And he's like, Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical, wouldn't you say? And I love that he basically exposes Metropolis's love of Superman, but they're very quick to indict Batman. Love that. But at the same time, he sort of showcases the danger that Superman could have. You know, he showcases like he could burn the whole place down and who's going to stop him? You know, in Suicide Squad, they try to say the Suicide Squad would stop him, but that's another load of nonsense. But I love this line as well. Of maybe it's a Gotham City and maybe we just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. This is why there needs to be more of these movies. Because this is great universe building right here. Absolutely amazing universe building that we may never see because Warner Brothers stupidly released the theatrical cut before they released this cut. Nonsense. Anyway. A uh, little bit of foreshadowing there with Lex. You should not pick a fight with this person. Uh, again, just Bruce saying... Um, oh, I thought I'd come and drink you dry. Again, no one would ever suspect that this guy is Batman. You know? And that's what I love about this uh, interpretation. So now Clark realises that Bruce is the guy doing something behind the scenes. There's more to him. He doesn't know he's Batman, of course. But he does hear that someone's saying like, oh, the, the dad is ready. And Bruce is a way to grab it. Clark, of course, getting slightly suspicious, starting to follow him. But then, of course, Clark's do-gooder nature takes over. Again, showing that he is Superman. He could follow Bruce. He could follow suspicions. But instead, he sees a burning building in Mexico City and decides to go and help. That is Superman. He could follow Bruce. He could follow suspicions. Oh, Wonder Woman has taken Bruce's uh, data drive. He's not happy about that. Starts storming after her. Again, I love the interplay here. I mean, you've got right there Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. All slightly suspicious of each other because they don't know each other yet. But Bruce trails after Diana, but she's way too fast for him. Bruce, uh, sorry, um, I can't believe they're going to let that poor girl die. Yeah, not in Superman's watch. He is out of there. Bruce realizes he's been slightly beaten. Wonder Woman drives off. You know, dramatically unbuttons his suit jacket, but he knows he'll get another chance. And then we cut to Superman saving people, which is what he does, which is what people bitched about in these movies that he never did. Here he is saving people. And all of the and this generation of people, this class of people look at him with awe and with respect and with just they bow before him. They're just like this guy. He has the power to save the world. And 
I love the next like minute and a half of this movie, this whole discussion about Superman and this whole, you know, we as a population on this planet being looking for a savior. He is that savior. You know, he is a God personified, you know, but I love that people have this discussion. You know, they even have it there, the Superman question, you know, all of this is brilliant. It generates discussion. Do you trust him? Do you think that he's here to save people or does he follow an agenda of a government or does he follow a certain law or what are his politics or, you know, all this kind of stuff. I love all of this. This, this, this just gives depth and discussion to the movie, which I absolutely love. Again, rocket explodes. What happens? Superman saves people. Again, going back to the whole fact that people bitch he doesn't save enough people. I love that this guy is now an international blogger after being just like a standard blogger in Man of Steel. Maybe he's just a guy trying to do the right thing. Clark still doesn't know how best to present himself to the world. I do love that Neil deGrasse Tyson's in this. That's amazing. <coughs> Pardon me. Again, another one of the great moments of this movie. These people paint a Superman symbol on their house during floods because they they are worshipping him. They are asking for his help. They are asking for him to save them. The way a lot of people treat religion and Jesus and God and please save me and save my soul and prepare me for the afterlife. These people are reaching up to the sky to say, save us. This imagery is absolutely amazing. Absolutely stunning. And, But on principle we don't want them to act. I'm not saying he shouldn't act. Yes you bloody well are. Superman does the right thing. He doesn't care about race, religion, country of origin, whatever. Whereas typical Americans here are saying, oh, he should follow our rules. Anyway, that's another nonsense. Uh, a discussion for another time. So uh, another scene here in the extended edition, but not in the original movie. It's just nice that even Superman, the most powerful being in the world, still needs to just phone his mom and say, I need to hear your voice. I need to say hello. I need to I need that metaphorical arm around my shoulder. He wants to talk about his dad and clearly misses him. It was one of my few regrets with Man of Steel, because I love Man of Steel as well, and I will do a, a commentary on it as well. But I love Kevin Costner in the role as Pat Kent and it was cut short. But even like Martha there saying like my baby boy, she, she hates that he's hurting. She just wants to save him and, you know, that's it. Okay, we're going to put a pin in it there. That's going to be part one of the Batman v Superman commentary. Uh, I was going to record it all in one go, but I do just think that a three-hour movie is probably a bit too much for you to listen to my ramblings through. So I'm going to break it into three parts, an hour at a time. So I do hope you've enjoyed part one. I've probably actually chatted about more stuff than I thought I would. Uh, I did slightly worry that I wouldn't be able to fill the air, as they say. But that's one of the strengths of this movie. There's just so much depth to it. It's insane. Um, as a comic book fan, as a movie fan, it just ticks all the right boxes. So... 
Um, I do hope you enjoyed this to a degree. I do hope you found my musings interesting. And what I will do is, as I say, I will split it into three. So this is the end of part one. And uh, guys, keep an eye out for part two, which will be uh, coming soon.